Hi there, and welcome to Molecule to Market. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, you'll go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector with Jim Hall, president at LifeCore Biomedical. What a treat you are in for today. I genuinely really enjoyed uh, this conversation with Jim today. I think we could have gone on for three or four hours just talking about the industry at large. And Jim is very much of the uh, breed that sticks with one business for a long time. He's been with LifeCore for almost 30 years and kind of worked his way up from the bottom to actually now being the president of a pretty sizable CDMO business. He did have a period um, where he went sponsor by a side and it's look out for some of the things that he learned when he was working with CROs and CDMO vendors and what that taught him about his own CDMO business. LifeCore Biomedical has grown significantly, uh, doubling in size twice in just 10 years. And he talks about some of the challenges that has brought in the business. One of the fascinating things you'll hear is uh, how long people stay with LifeCore. 10, 20, 30, even 40 years people have worked there for. And I was intrigued to hear about how Jim had helped kind of nurture a culture of longevity without losing sight of the purpose of the company in terms of really looking after the patient. As they operate in the injectable space, Jim gives some fantastic stats around trends in that area and growth of the market. So for any of you that are in injectables, that's certainly one to listen out for. And as with many of our guests, Jim talks about some of the timeless pieces of advice around learning and keeping an open mind, which I think all of you should bear in mind when developing your own careers. The other interesting thing was just how niche of a CDMO they are. They have a very specific expertise, which you will find out when you hear Jim's episode. For background, Jim was appointed president in June 2017. And prior to that, he served as the VP and general manager for many years. Before that, he was the vice president of operations and the director of manufacturing operations and engineering. He has uh, had about 30 years of experience in pharmaceutical and combination product manufacturing and development experience. I really hope and I can guarantee you are going to like today's episode. And if you can, please give us a five-star rating on your app store of choice. It will genuinely make my day. And in the meantime, please enjoy today's episode. We are proudly supported by ZymeWire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from ZymeWire. And because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. Hey, Jim. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ramon. Um, good morning or good afternoon or evening uh, where you're at, but uh, appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to this. It's always a pleasure working with you and your team. Thank you very much. And it's very early morning for you uh, in the US. So I appreciate you making the time early in your schedule to, 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 to slot me in. And Jim, let's start at the beginning. Tell our listeners a bit about your career background and how you ended up becoming uh, the president at LifeCore. 
Yeah, sure. No problem. So I guess I'm coming up just about on 33 years of working in this industry. And um, the majority of those years have been at LifeCore. Um, I think 29 of those 33 years have been at LifeCore. Um, I went uh, to a state university here in Minnesota called St. Cloud State University. I got a degree, a degree in industrial engineering. And when I got out of school, started looking for a job. And I guess I can, I, a couple of things, but I can thank my father uh, for getting me into to my pharma career. Um, when I started looking for a job out of engineering school, I had a bunch of different offers. Uh, one of them was at LifeCore. Uh, I called my dad and asking for some advice. And my dad's advice was which one would be most challenging. Um, don't worry about the money, that'll come. And, and I said, well, LifeCore would. They're a pharmaceutical manufacturer. They make something called hyaluronic acid I could barely pronounce. <laughs> and um, and uh, I ended up taking it based on my dad's advice. So uh, that was in the late 80s. I started as a process uh, development engineer and worked for approximately six years um, in various roles. And basically at that time, uh, LifeCore was just getting into aseptic filling for a specific uh, customer that was utilizing RHA for an adhesion prevention product. So I learned a ton, um, had the opportunity to go work at a company called Protein Design Labs um, and manage their clinical manufacturing. They were into humanized antibodies um, and basically worked on the other side of the fence where I was taking their product and working with a bunch of different CDMOs to get clinical supplies manufactured and to the clinic. Um, my old boss at LifeCore, and, and for that job, I was traveling 75% of the time um, trying to start a family. And um, my old boss at LifeCore called wanting to know if I wanted to come back, and I did, and I've been back here ever since. So. Um, I've worked in every aspect uh, of operations at LifeCore uh, on the development side, on the manufacturing side, uh, and just, you know, the, the challenges were always there, the opportunities were always there. Uh, I didn't set out to end up, you know, being the leader of LifeCore, it just happened and I'm glad it did. I'm, I'm just finishing up my fifth year as president, um, obviously very excited. Uh, to where LifeCore's uh, at and where we're going. So that's that's kind of how I've gotten uh, to where I'm at today. That's great. Thanks, Jim. You've given me a lot of follow-up questions just for that first <laughs> answer. But uh, you know, credit to you, you know, you're, we've had several guests on who've spent a long time with the same business and worked their way up to becoming president. And it's it's certainly something I personally um, admire. I want to just go back to a quote you said from your father, which was, don't worry about the money, it'll come. And genuinely, that is one of my favorite kind of quotes that I often say to younger people, like, if you focus on the money, it'll never be enough. Has that, has that sentiment from your father kind of uh, put you in good stead as your career has developed. I mean, appreciate you probably made lots yeah, of no, money yeah. on the way in, but uh, did you stick to it? Is that something that you think has been fundamental? Because we have a lot of younger people that listen to listen to the podcast, and I think someone in your position, I suppose, uh, saying that's been a good 
ethos for them is uh, is really interesting from to hear. It, yeah, it's definitely held true for me. I, I never did worry about um, what I was making. Obviously, you're concerned about it, but in reality, I always wanted to make sure uh, I was challenged and learning, right? Most important things. And I have a daughter who's a senior in, in University of Wisconsin graduating this spring, and she's out looking for jobs, and I gave her the same advice my father gave me, and she rolled her eyes like I probably did at my, my dad, right? <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's true, you know, focus on learning and, and um, challenge yourself, and you'll get far. And, and the money does follow. The more, more um, you know, uh, responsibility you get, and the more you learn, and the more you can contribute, uh, that's going to happen, right? But if you focus on it, like you said, it's never going to be enough. And um, you're going to be more worried about that than how you can contribute um, to the success of the team you're working on or within the company or whatever you're doing. Yeah, no, that's terrific, terrific advice to start off with there. And, you know, of all the roles that you've done within the business, did you did you have a favorite and I appreciate you're probably going to alienate some of your team when you to tell me which which it is. But I'm just curious: did you, you know, did you love working in manufacturing and development? Do you like being the president? You know, being in the in the kind of I suppose the senior management team because I imagine the I suppose the challenges and roles and responsibilities have, have hugely varied in all of the roles that you've done. So just curious to know if one you know, really, really worked well for you? Listen, I've liked them all, right? It's one of the reasons I've stayed at Life Corps. Um, you know, and I tell our employees this today. Um, I have new employee orientation this afternoon where I meet new employees um, from this past month. But the one thing I tell them is when you're working in a, a growing uh, company like Life Corps, there's always going to be opportunities for those that want them. And, um, and that's a good thing, right? And um, presents challenges. And I always found that every position I took presented its own set of challenges. Um, listen, I'm an operational guy. I'm an engineer, an operator by heart. I love operations. I love manufacturing. Um, and and that as I transitioned more into a senior leadership role at Life Corps, that was one of the hardest things for me to do was to leave that goal and um, I had a very solid group of people working there. I trusted them so it allowed me to step away but um, to whenever I want to step back in my comfort zone for a, for an hour or two or a day I go back into our, our <laughs> operational roles and just go for a walk and visit with people and, and I can learn a lot in a, in a quick conversation with how things are going and what's going on within the company um, by doing that. That's great, great. I'm sure it's exciting for the operations team to, to see you wandering around and, and interacting and, and being a good leader and, and all that as well, which is great. And I was going to ask you about the uh, protein design labs and you know what's really interesting looking at your background is it's this kind of blip of four years where you're not at life core. Um, it, and I was going to ask you about that experience, but what you mentioned before, what you were on the other side of the fence, so to speak, you know, managing CDMOs. How was that from a learning perspective? You know, if you, what did you learn from that experience kind of being on the other side of the fence that maybe informed life core in terms of the way that it, you know, operates with its customers? Right. And, it, and it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? So what I brought with me to that job 
at Protein Design Labs was what worked well when customers came into LifeCore, what we like to see um, them put together to help us make them successful. And I use that approach when I started working with the CDMOs that I inherited when I went to that, uh, when I went to Protein Design Labs. And they, they all thought that was very helpful. They wanted to know what my background was and why that was my approach. Uh, and I told them, and, and they said, oh, but but the other thing then, the, the double-edged sword for them is uh, I, I knew what my expectations were based on all the people I've worked at um, when I was at LifeCorp for the first time. And it just, it taught me how to work with them, how to get our expectations across, and bringing that back to LifeCorp and implementing that in our onboarding process for new customers. Um, was was very very helpful i mean really when um, a drug developer or, or a company comes to a cdmo what they're looking for first and foremost is a strong and proven quality system um, that's the first thing somebody will look at above and beyond your capabilities and they want speed and reliable execution with the highest quality um, they obviously want the tech, technical expertise, and then if they're successful, they need the commercial side of things. And working with the, my, my period at Protein Design Labs, although it was with one company, I probably worked with a dozen different CDMOs or CROs or clinical labeling specialists around the world and saw 12 different ways to do things that I could pick and choose what worked well, what didn't and bring that back to LifeCore and, and help get that implemented over the last several years. Mm -hmm. what, an, what an incredible opportunity, looking back at your career, that you were able to get that. I, I, it's funny, you know, it's, it's similar to, my, you know, I, I say to people in the marketing agency world, if you ever get a chance to go in-house and work with an agency, you'll learn so much about it by doing that and it's it that's what I, I similar to myself you know i had a few years where i went in house and actually ran marketing for a cdmo which was <laughs> quite useful given what my my business does so similar to yourself and it is fascinating how you see things when you're sat on the other side of the table so what a, what a terrific piece of experience and, and just to step back obviously life has been been you know part of your dna in the last you know three decades you know, for someone that hasn't heard of LifeCore or doesn't know what you guys do, can you give us a bit of an overview of, you know, not only what you do and who you serve, but scale of the business, sites and, and all that type of thing? Sure, sure. And I'll just start with a, with a short history. So LifeCore's legacy business is um, hyaluronic acid. Uh, we've been, um, it's really the what started this version of LifeCore um, 35, 40 years ago. Uh, actually, the the scientist uh, that uh, was the co-inventor of that process still works at LifeCore, and we just, his name's Dr. Kipling Thacker, and we just celebrated his 40th anniversary. Um, so um, we, that's our legacy business, and at the, at back um, in that point in LifeCore's history, um, we also had a dental implant business, so um, kind of odd combination, but um, 2008 rolls around and Warburg Pincus, private equity firm, um, took LifeCore private. We were a public company before that um, because they wanted uh, LifeCore's dental business. And that left us 
back then with a basically a twenty million dollar um, HA business. Um, Two thousand ten came along, and Landec Corporation were a wholly owned subsidiary of Landec. Uh, they purchased LifeCore um, with the thought that a polymer that they used in the food industry may have some pharmaceutical uh, applications. That didn't hold to be true, um, but LifeCore had a pretty aggressive plan in place to not only continue to grow and build our, our legacy HA business, but transition that. 35 years of experience in dealing with complex formulations of HA. It's not easy to, to get to mix. It's not easy to sterilize. Definitely not easy to fill into a syringe and vial. And we took that and transitioned that business not only into supplying the raw material, but also offering, um, you know, formulation fill finish and commercial manufacturing uh, operations for that. And that that's the beginning of our CDMO business. So we look at LifeCore right now uh, in two segments, our HA raw material business and our CDMO business, or, uh, and that consists of the development work we do with partners, uh, as well as the clinical supply. And if they are successful uh, clinically and with the FDA or other regulatory bodies, we're there for them commercially. So um, right now LifeCore consists of uh, three, we have three FDA registered facilities. Um, they're kind of broken into primary manufacturing. It's where we do our fermentation uh, and purification of the AHA. We all, and also do our primary formulating and filling uh, and packaging for the CDMO side of our business. Uh, our other two sites consist of lab space, final packaging space, warehousing space. Um, we currently have the infrastructure and capability to do 22 million uh, units of injectable-based products. Um, we currently have two new filling lines, isolator-based filling lines uh, on order that'll be implemented over the next uh, two to three years. That brings our, our theoretical capacity um, pushing 50 million units. and. The whole focus on our, our strategy right now is on the organic side and, um, you know, building our pipeline, which currently has, um, I should back step one little bit here, but we currently manufacture 26 commercial products for 13 different customers, um, long-standing relationships. And on the development side, we, we currently have 23 products in development at various stages from early preclinical all the way through phase three or qualification phase. Um, those products in the pipeline are really what's driving the need for the additional capacity at LifeCore. Um, we've successfully doubled our business twice in the past 10 years. Um, that trajectory continued last year and continues again this year and into the future. And, and uh, we're in a really good spot here uh, to take LifeCore to the next level and, and fill out that capacity, uh, starting to look at adjacencies beyond just our organic structure. But uh, I can talk about LifeCore for, for hours, <laughs> but I'll stop there. Um, I think that gives people a, a, a good snapshot of where we're at and what we're doing. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. 
We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. And because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. I have a really untechnical question, but sure. you're going to laugh at me when I probably ask you this. But the HA business, does it presumably crosses over to the CDMO business as in terms of you use HA with with the development of some products in manufacturing and products, or is that a very <laughs> naive? It, it, no, no, that, that, that's a good, that's a very good point, Ramon. I, I, um, the HA is a very, very important part of who LifeCore is. Um, we're the only CDMO that has an HA business and the capability to follow that through from early phase development all the, all the way through uh, to be a commercial supplier uh, for our partners. Right now, about 70% of our overall business uh, contains HA. Um, the things in our development pipeline, about 60% of the products in the development pipeline consist of HA. Um, so not only is HA, did HA teach us how to deal with complex formulations that transferred well to other polymers and other products and other molecules, um, but it's it's a very important part of our business. We our, our largest segment in the HA world is in the ophthalmic space for ophthalmic viscoelastics that are used in every cataract surgery performed. Um, we uh, estimate um, based on you know our understanding of the market that either RHA or LifeCore manufactures the finished product and probably 80% of the viscoelastics that are used worldwide. Um, and so the ophthalmic space is very important for us. Uh, and the driver there really is um, the aging demographics of our population. Um, there's People are getting older, there's a lot of cataract surgeries to perform. Um, and that also plays off into a, a big chunk of things we're working on on the development side with um, other products for treatments of eye disease like age-related macular de- degeneration. Um, same thing. As people get older, that's going to be more prevalent and there's a lot of development activity there. So we look at the ophthalmic space as, as key for LifeCore. It's some, if, if there is a uh, product in development uh, in the ophthalmic side that specifically uses HA, it, it tip, we want it, and it typically does come uh, to LifeCore. It's fascinating. You're almost a niche within a niche yeah. of CDMOs, which yeah. is really, really, really fascinating. And, you know, my, my father had um, his cataracts done a few years ago, so I'll thank you because I suspect your product was, <laughs> was part more of that, 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 was, that yeah. procedure. So you... you a couple of follow-up questions because it's fascinating to hear of the growth of the business. You mm-hmm. you said that you doubled twice in 10 years. Now, that type of growth can break a business. So interesting to know what lessons you learned during that that period because I imagine you've gone through some significant growing pains to get where you are today. So curious to hear things that you might have done differently, things that really surprised you or things that just, are never-ending challenges for a growing business like LifeCore? 
Yeah, the, and there's numerous challenges more to talk about in, in the time we have here. But I mean, stepping away uh, and, and looking back, the biggest challenge is making sure you don't get too far out over the front of your skis, right? And that uh, there's a fine line between making sure the organization is built to handle what you have coming and on your plate um, versus building too far ahead. And um, it's easy to take on, especially, uh, you know, with the, with the uh, sector today, there's a lot of work out there. If you want to go out and get get work to drive revenue, you can. And it's easy uh, to go out and do that and lose sight of what the organization can handle and what kind of stresses you put on the organization by bringing in more than you can handle. So um, looking back on it, that's the thing we spend most time trying to manage. Um, now, fortunately, in our world, especially when we have um, things onboarded and we're working on them. We have pretty good foresight into what's coming and the work that needs to happen uh, and the capacity that we need to be prepared for. Uh, and, the, and the challenge on the capacity front or the capital front, the non-human capital front, is lead times are um, long, right? You want to add a, a new fill line to uh, build capacity, you really have to invest up to four years before you think you need it. Um, so that's another challenge. You make sure you, you're not spending too far ahead, but you also have the capability to support your commercial customers should they be successful clinically. So there, there's numerous challenges um, uh, in today's world. Um, you know, the supply chain challenges uh, and Inflation challenges are something that, um, fortunately for LifeCore, our supply chain team is is very very strong. Uh, they've come up with ways to manage our supply chain to keep us going. Um, but you have to buy in advance, and you have to carry larger inventory, and um, you know that has impacts. But they're numerous; they're too numerous to count. Ramon, but um, I, the biggest one I, that keeps me up at night is, do we have what we, the people and the resources we need? Are they onboarded in time? Are we giving them what they need to be successful in their job um, to make sure that we continue uh, the customer service that, that our partners are used to? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You know, I think there's often envy when you see companies growing and not many people understand the the pain that sits behind the growth, which it yeah. sounds like you guys have done a great job. And you mentioned um, one of your colleagues, uh, Kip, who'd been who's been with the business for forty years, and obviously mm -hmm. you've been with the business for thirty years. And I think I've had the pleasure of meeting Kip. If he's a, a tall chap with a mustache, I definitely <laughs> have. And uh, I suppose amusingly for our he, he, regular he looks like he looks like an older version of tom Selleck. yeah <laughs> he really does <laughs> um, amusingly for our listeners i'm not the tallest guy and i went to say hi to the guys at life call and kip was sitting down and i didn't really think much of it other than he was at my height when he was sitting down and then he stood up and i was quite surprised <laughs> and then uh, at the time he took his mask off and gave us the tom tom Selleck look which is uh, which was very well received and so you've always talked about, you know, people, resources and, you know, I suppose product inventory and things like that. There's obviously something in the culture of LifeCore because 
you know, even doing my research beforehand, I was quite struck when I was looking at the management team and the leadership team of how long people have stayed with the company. It's it's multiple decades for multiple people. And I imagine mm-hmm. Kip is probably at the top end of that in terms of his, you know, four decades or so with, with the business. What I suppose, what is it in the water, so to speak? Or what is it in, <laughs> what, what is it in the HA? In, well, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely not the weather in Minnesota. Uh, when, well, I was dri- <laughs> when I was driving in this morning, it was minus one um, Fahrenheit. So uh, it's definitely not the weather. But, hey, you know, listen, I, I, this is something I'm very, very proud of. And, and we all are very proud of. Um, and, and I look at it a, a few different ways. Um, one, um, our culture uh, at LifeCore is centered around our quality with speed and reliable execution and customer service. Um, we all um, have touched multiple areas in this uh, company and within our operations. And we're all here, uh, you know, yeah, we have a business to run, but at the end of the day, we're all here because uh, of the products we make and the patients and people we help. Right. I, I tell new employees uh, when I when I give the, the culture talk um, as part of our onboarding um, that, listen, I used to work in the back. I know what you guys are, are, are doing day in and day out. I know what a challenge it is. And we need you uh, to take ownership of what you're doing and just think when I work back there, I, I used to think when I was filling a syringe, for example, that some one of these syringes I'm making is going to end up in somebody I know, either a family member, um, a friend, somebody that I know. And I always thought that when I was doing it to step back and, and own what, what I was doing. And if I saw something that wasn't right to say something, and that's really what drives our culture. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I know our products have been used in both of my parents and my, my in-laws. And, and I tell people, I said, the last thing you want to do is hurt somebody, let alone somebody you love and care for. And so that's kind of the mindset we set on here. And the other thing LifeCorp does is creates opportunities, right? If, if especially in the younger generation now, uh, they need to have a purpose, and the purpose can be what I just talked about, you know, helping our patients and, and creating products that are going to help people. But they also need challenge and they need opportunity. And, and that's what a growing company like LifeCorp does. And I think that's why um, people feel comfortable staying here. And, and the people that uh, just hired a new new um, VP of corporate strategy that's been in the industry for close to 30 years as well. Um, one of our well-known competitors and, and he looked at LifeCore and saw the opportunity and saw our culture and, and, and decided to come join us. So it's not just that people have worked here a long time. We're also able to attract talent from the industry with pretty long 10 years because they see what we have going here. And it's something I'm personally very proud of, and I know we all are as a team. No, that's great, and it's um, you know I think there's some fantastic lessons in there for for other business leaders around you know giving people the opportunities, allowing them to work in multiple areas, never losing sight of the purpose. There's some really core lessons, and it's uh, certainly not surprising that you've been able to attract talent from from elsewhere because I don't, I don't think that is necessarily the norm, and it certainly worked for for you guys. And I wonder switch gears slightly um, to talk about, I suppose, the area that you guys focus on. You've obviously talked about the amount of commercial products that you guys produce and the development pipeline that's coming through. And 
obviously you primarily work in the injectables area. I suppose from, sitting from the outside and looking at the industry right now, being in the injectable space is probably the best place, well, one of the best places to be in the industry right now. So just curious to get your take on what's driving the growth of injectables. Are you seeing a sl- any kind of slowdown? Are you seeing different types of product coming through? You know, obviously the therapeutic area has changed, but, you know, obviously it's very well publicized, the growth of injectables. And so I think what I've even just chatting with you today, Jim, has been quite taken back by the scale of the life core business and, and, and what products you're already working on. So any insights that you can give, uh, certainly me, but also obviously our listener and, you know, that injectables market and why it's growing so quickly. And, uh, you know, and do you, do you see a slowdown at all? Or do you think this is just going to continue? Yeah, I don't, you know, the, you, you look at the, the market trends and the tailwinds and, and you're right. It's a, it's a great time to be uh, CDMO in the injectable space. There's a lot of funding for drug development. I think the drug developers are focusing on their true competence, which is drug development, not manufacturing. Um, there's a large propensity of small to mid-sized pharma companies to outsource. Um, and so the, the portfolio of, of injectable drugs that are in development is big and large. And and like you mentioned, um, the CDMO market itself is, is very big. Um, the injectable uh, market is probably the fastest growing segment within that. Um, I think, you know, there, there's numbers floating around, but the number I use is, is about a, a 10%, 10.5% kegger over the next two to three years. Uh, in the injectable or pre-filled syringe market, a subset of that is even uh, predicted uh, or projected to grow even faster at, at a kegger of 13%. So, um, I don't, you know, there, there's there's so many products in development. The products that are are under FDA approval or going through the NDA process continues to grow, um, and really it creates um, a, an opportunity to fuel long-term growth for and, and create value for CDMOs uh, like LifeCore that have that capability, and and that's been the focus of not only uh, LifeCore, but everyone that's in this space. Um, there's a need for industry-wide capacity. Uh, COVID didn't help that um, with the vaccine development and, and all the vaccine manufacturing. And that's created a lot of opportunities directly for, for injectable CDMOs with the capability and the capacity. Um, you know, companies like LifeCore that don't have the, the, you know, hundreds of millions of units of capacity may not be benefiting directly. But what that has done is used up uh, capacity that other products that are in development don't have to access anymore, and which creates an opportunity for companies like LifeCore. And, and we've benefited from that. Um, is there an end in sight? I'm sure there is. I don't see it right now. Um, my focus and our team's focus is just making sure LifeCore is investing in the right things with the right time to create the capacity 
to capitalize on this. And that's what we're doing. It's why we have two new lines on order. Uh, that's why we're, we're working hard to make sure the organization's built and the systems are in place to deal with that um, and, and just to capitalize on it. And, um, you know, there's sectors, the, the cell and gene therapy and large molecule um, developments, a, a really hot spot in the CDMO space. Uh, there's a lot of focus on that. And, and there's a, then going to be the need for uh, injectable CDMOs to take those products and get them in the final form. So there's a lot going on that are driving the positive trends. And, and um, you know, our focus is just to make sure we're, we're able to service that. I think if I've understood correctly, one thing you said there, which I, th I found fascinating, because we've had several CDMO leaders on in the last year or so who have, I think, directly benefited their businesses, have directly benefited from uh, COVID vaccine supply in all, all shapes and sizes, you know, whether it's early phase or or the commercial manufacturing. And if I've understood correctly, what you, got, you guys have done is almost n not kind of go down that route and as such that push on demand, or sorry, so the limiting of supply in the market has, has led to more opportunities for you guys in the, I suppose, the non-COVID vaccine arena, which probably have quite a lot of longevity of some of the, our development pro projects that are end up going to be commercial. Correct me if I've misunderstood, but that's a really no, fascinating. No, that's a good, that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. I, I mean, our version of this is, you know, we're not, we're not manufacturing any of the vaccines. Uh, when this all started, uh, the federal government starts pinging everybody that has manufacturing capacity so they understand where they can go. Um, we were part of that. But, um, you know, although we have available capacity, it's not in the, you know, the quantities that were needed to get this vaccine out to the world. Um, but but um, contrary to that, the people that absorbed all that needed capacity and then created opportunities for smaller versions like LifeCore, um, and and people looking for somebody to partner with to uh, that may not have you know hundreds of millions of units of need of capacity. So it created opportunities for us. Um, you know, I, I mentioned our our current pipeline has 23 projects in it um, at various stages. We have what's called our bullpen, which is our opportunities that we're in discussion with that potentially could be onboarded, and that's you know, um, I think in the 30s now. Um, so there's no shortage of opportunities and, and we select accordingly um, the, the people that can utilize our skill set, utilize our niche, and, and we can support them uh, in their development. It's genuinely fascinating because we've obviously loaded quite a lot of CDMOs, rightly so, for, you know, for producing vaccines and, and helping us get through this, you know, awful couple of years during COVID. But, you know, there are, I'm just, you know, the types of products you guys are working on and developing and have been able to pick up is, you know, for the longer term, focus on the patient and different kind of unmet medical needs is, is crucial really because COVID is to an extent under control in the Western world. Obviously there are parts of the world where it's still pretty rampant, but it's, it's, I think it's an amazing uh, kind of side effect almost of a positive side effect of, of you guys not doing that is these development projects and these other commercial projects have not been impacted, which ultimately benefits other patients in different ways, which, which is genuinely fascinating. I don't think we've had that kind of perspective and obviously we've talked about you know the culture of the business and capability expansions and it sounds like a very good place 
to be um, at LifeCore. I, I love hearing about your own personal journey in terms of leading, <laughs> cutting and working your way up and now now leading a, a company. What what piece of advice would you have for other leaders or people developing their careers in the CDMO space where they're, you know, maybe they're in commercial roles or they're moving you know, department to department and you know, hopefully want to, you know, one day end up in a role, role similar to yourself. Any, any kind of leadership advice or any career advice for, for people like that? Yeah, sure. And, and again, I've been, I've been very, very fortunate to work with very strong, smart, capable people my entire career, whether they were part of my team or I was part of theirs, they were mentors of mine. And what that really taught me is I, is I continued to advance in leadership roles was surround yourself with good people. Make sure you're not the smartest person in the room. Uh, learn to listen to these people and learn to trust them um, because you're going to need to rely on them um, to, to, to run things while, while you're you know off being the leader of the company um, or whatever position you're in. Um, I think another thing that, that is, is really hard um, is learning to listen and not jumping to conclusions and trusting your people. And that's really, um, you know, when you're younger, I mean, you're, you're, you're taught this in school that you should know everything, right? That's how <laughs> schools lay it out. And when you start a career and you come to a company, um, you're like, oh, they asked me something, I should know it. And so you start start answering everything and not listening. And, and you know, I another positive for me is I had one of my key professors in engineering school taught us that if you didn't know the answer, don't give it, right? And so his, an example I'll give you is we had a 100-point test every Friday and um, – each question, each, there was 10 questions, 10 points a question. And if you attempted to answer a question, uh, any attempt and any part of it was wrong, you got zero. If you, <laughs> if you said, I don't know, you got seven. So you could literally walk in and get a 70% by not <laughs> and, and what that taught me, though, was when I started work is it's okay not to know everything and to go ask um, and to seek out others' opinions and to get the strongest answer you can. And by hiring strong people, that gives you the avenue to do that. Um, and, you know, it's okay. Uh, I had a, 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 one of my previous bosses said, hire people that are smarter than yourself. That's why I hired you, he said. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a stereotypical leader talk, but it's true. You know, the more you're in this, the more you learn that. I mean, it is stereotypical and cliched, but I can tell you what, Jim, it's, it's, I hear it. I've heard it off 70% of the leaders that we've interviewed on, on Molecule to Market. So they're cliched and stereotypical for a reason because actually they work. And it's funny, you know, the one you mentioned about listening, you know, it's the one I personally have to work on constantly. You know, it's, I'm very aware of it and very aware of, you know, having to listen. And, and one quote that I heard recently, which really you know, struck a chord with me, which was, you know, learn, learn to play when you haven't got the ball. And I'd never, and I'd never heard that before, but, you know, you know, but irrespective of you know, if it's football or soccer or whatever it is, it's a great, it's a great way of thinking about it that you can still play a role, even when you're not the one talking. And I think, and you can still play a role by just watching and observing and and just listening. And so it, it, that one really 
struck with me. And Jamie, you know, before the call, we laughed, said we could probably have three hours, and I'm I'm sure we could have had a three hour conversation, but uh, I'm conscious that we're at uh, forty minutes, which is uh, which is a big chunk of, of of your day. So I've got I've got about twenty different directions I could go at this point in time, but. I think where I want to end the, the the kind of conversation today is, I suppose what if you you know you've spent 30, 30 years in the space and you said something really interesting earlier on when you just to prove I was listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> you you said something about when you worked for um, Protein Design Labs that you work with say a dozen CROs and CDMOs and they all have their different ways of working. And I'm just curious to know, like if there was one thing that you could change in the sector that we operate, would it be more consistency? Because what I mean by that is, I think what's difficult for drug development companies is depending on which CDMO they go to, they get a completely different, (laughs) almost a completely different experience and almost different, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, regulatory kind of um, that that part of it in terms of, you know, things you have to do from a, you know, an FDA perspective, but the approach, the systems, the processes, I'm just curious to know, is that a change that you would like in the sector and say like some level of standardization that would actually make it easier for drug developers to select a CDMO? Or do you think that would, that's not, that's never going to happen because actually that might be a competitive differential right there. Yeah, you know, listen, that would be great. Would it ever happen? I don't know, um, because there's a million ways to, to to provide the service that people are looking for, and and it's all centered around the culture that you build within the organization and the people that you have, right? And so, um, the FDA and other regulatory bodies provide some consistency, but but they're called guidelines, right? There's there's they're called guidelines for a reason um, because there's several ways to, to meet those guidelines. And um, like there's variability there, I think there's always going to be variability in um, how a CDMO works with potential partners. And um, it would be great if it's if there was a consistent way to do that. I just I'm not sure how and if that's going to be possible. And, and on the other side of the fence, um, you know, you end up working in this space with a lot of different large pharma to small startups, and and there's there's challenges at each um, level uh, of of those type of opportunities that you work with. Um, that you know you need to provide some consistent way to deal with, and um, I'd like to think LifeCore has, has figured out how to do that, and we provide the the, the best most efficient service possible. Um, I think it would be easier if everybody followed that, but whether that's going to happen or not, that's a great question. I've never really thought that much about it, Ramon. Mm, well, I appreciate your perspective is always in a terrific answer. And I think good variability is always going to exist because when you're service providers, it's a competitive market space. And so um, Jim Hall, what an, what an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest on Molecule to Market. I'm so grateful that you could make the time this morning to to chat with me um genuinely one of the most fascinating interviews i think that i've done uh, in the last year uh, and i really hope that our listener you get the value 
that I certainly did from from our conversation with Jim, and it certainly encouraged people to reach out to Jim um, in in terms of you know LinkedIn and, and all that type of thing. Jim, thank you so much for 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 your time today. Hey, I appreciate it, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.